Welcome to the Harry Potter Virgin, where three Potterheads guide a Wizarding World Virgin on their first journey from platform nine and three quarters. On this show, our resident muggle Rob will share his experience of reading the original Harry Potter series for the first time in his 30-something years. He'll be helped along the way by three veterans of the Potterverse. This is series four, episode 18, Flesh, Rob and Bone. Today, we will be reviewing chapters 32 and 33 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. They are Flesh, Blood and Bone and the Death Eaters. Before Rob joins us, let me bring in my co-host to set the scene. Welcome, Millers. Hello. And Phil. Rosia. Housekeeping. Um, I had some like housekeeping, but then I was thinking, right, I th- I'm going to save my housekeeping for like a uh, housekeeping that I thought that we could do with Rob at the end on the last one of this series, like a series housekeeping of like what's happened in the time that's passed during the mm. recording of the series, because I wanted to talk about like the, the evolution of the baby Voldemort. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. This has been a long season because it's been a long season. Basically. And when you think about the progression of the baby Voldemort during the season, it, it almost follows that of the actual Voldemort. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. maybe we should clarify that when Phil says the baby Voldemort, she does mean her infant. Her child, not not, not the not Voldemort in, in the Goblet no, of Fire. It's made me think a lot about like how it must feel to be carried around and like the anger and resentment that's probably built up between like Voldemort and Wormtail in this time. Right, yeah, okay, well, sounds like you might feel a bit like Wormtail. Yeah, no, I'm not saying I resent her, but like she's got to a point now, obviously I don't want to go into it too much now, but she's got to a point now where she like, she really wants to move and she gets quite frustrated with me and I thought like, oh, Voldemort must have felt like that the whole time. I was thinking it's an absolute miracle that anyone listens to this because <laughs> we haven't we, we haven't edited one or put one out in I've no idea how long. Not that um, long actually. I I there haven't have been some very big gaps. But even when we put, put put one out, I don't let people know Instagram. I never no, I... put a message out. Yeah, but like, why are you doing that anymore? I don't know. It's just <laughs> I don't know. I think the thing is, is it's lost its pace a bit, hasn't it? Like I, I spoke to Lee Bialik today. But did you know that loads of people are listening? Who? How... Of course they are, because it's, it's quality. How it's many? Quality how many people listen these days? Like more now than like ever before. Like how many? It's no, like... no, no. Let's not go into the raw numbers. I've got lots of messages recently from people begging for new episodes and not <laughs> not even um, not even longtime friends of the show, but real fans <laughs> or fr- or um, longtime friend of how a long-time can, friend. How, how can real fans are, like no, they're not on social media? No, they're not. Like, send you a postcard. No, they're longtime friends of a longtime friend of the show. <laughs> I don't know them, but they need someone that I know. And I've had messages from the longtime friends of the show saying you know, sending me like screenshots and voice notes of people that they know who are like <laughs> hounding them for more episodes and they're trying to they're trying to sort of use the, the weight of the real fan <laughs> to sort of get them our backs a bit. So yeah. we'll, we'll go into some of those later. And this is why I never start a series or a podcast like until it's got like 
about five series. Yeah. Because I can't stand waiting. Um, Basically, I want something to have finished and then I'll start Yeah, it. but this is great. This is really good. Also, I'm just thinking about when we do the next lot of mugs. Do you think they need to be more long and thin to fit on like long-time friends of long-time friends of the show, seeing as we seem to be getting a lot of them? Or if we had ones that said real fan, oh. long-time friend of the show, short-time friend of the show. <laughs> and you circle as necessary. Or long-time friend of a short-time friend. Or they could um, they could request. Millers, with those numbers, we're going to be shipping them. No problem. Let's talk about the chapters. Yes. This week, we've got Flesh, Blood and Bone and the Death Eaters. I don't think it's going overboard to call them iconic chapters. These are ones that we've really been waiting for. Thoughts? Yeah, but I'm not going to, like I said to you earlier, I'm not getting into this because like, what, like, what is the point? There's no point me sitting here being like, they're great chapters. He's going to love them. Like, how can you not love them? And then him come on no. and be like, oh, I don't agree, Millers. Millers, he... Well, this is your chance to give your opinion. Yeah, and I think he's going to have a freaking shock. And might I remind you... This first chapter is the scariest thing I've ever read. And I've read The Shining. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Scariest thing ever in print. When I first read this, I had to stop because I was so scared. Well, these are chapters that are really all about the first read. Yeah. I think. There are some chapters that I love reading over and over and over again. And they just, you almost get more out of them. Yeah. These, it's all about the first time. So, like, if he has ruined it for oh, himself, I know. I just really hope he hasn't because they, it, the shock of it, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe she's done that! I can't believe this is actually happening!" Yeah. Don't forget that when we left him last time, he was like, "Oh, we, yeah, obviously we're going back to uh, ticket tape parade." To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, he could not pretend to us that this was in any way obvious. Because he just, he, for some reason, couldn't see anything untoward happening at all. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, we, we need to mention, really, this is the death of Cedric chapter, oh. the first one. I wonder what he will think about that. I'm, I'm certain he won't have seen that coming. Um, it's good that Cedric kind of won him round, has won him round, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that is good. That needed to happen. Otherwise, yeah. the impact would have been massively reduced. I think the thing is, is that I, this definitely, when you reread it as an as an adult, it doesn't have the, the impact that it would on the first read. I think I would still feel as scared reading this as an adult because I am so invested in the characters. But the thing that I would say is the real tragedy of things hits you in a way that I don't think it did when I was younger. So I was really sad that Cedric had died but things now that play on my mind are, the, are things like he was an only child like uh, more to do with the experience of his parents and how I feel about that I don't think I ever honed in on that before but yeah this no it would have no. been about you yes. and how you felt about and it and to be honest the Cedric thing did never really hit me as a child because although they do lots is done to make you very sympathetic towards Cedric and you are, and he does come across as a very good person. He's still not like a character that you've known yeah. well for a really long time. Yeah. And also it's just that, like, it's overshadowed by everything that then happens next. Yeah. So like, it was yes. not really something I think first reading, especially as a child, like I dwelled on. 
Whereas now, yeah, you're right. It's like less of the impact and more just of the tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Shall we bring him in and put ourselves out of our misery and see what he thinks? Yeah, amazing. Right. Let's bring him in. Hello, Rob. All right, nerds. Here we are. Here we are. There you are. Back again. You look very Weasley-ish. Thank you. Is that a compliment? Probably not. <laughs> You're just like a model and you look like a Weasley. It's simple. Weasley. No <laughs> Weasley. Rob, before we get you to like give us any hot takes, uh, we mentioned that we were recording this to someone and they said, I can't wait for Rob to have no idea what's going on or who anyone is. <laughs> oh. So oh, everyone's got a lot of plenty of faith in you. Gosh. And she went to the prom with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> the nerds are turning on me. Oh, my God. <laughs> the nerd has turned. <laughs> right, okay. Let's just do this straight off. Yep. Rob, chapter 32. I'm flustered. Flesh, blood and bone. Can I have a hot take, please? Yes, it is a, it's a mini action chapter. Mini action chapter. Very mini, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of nice, isn't it? Nice little treat for it to be a mini okay oh, i thought it was a one chapter week as well so i was i got quite excited yes no. yes Rob. okay sorry just to clarify i've read both chapters but initially i thought it was a one thank god for that <laughs> <laughs> but also i want to know when did you read them mm, glad you asked this millers because i know this is a this is a big bugbear of yours hold on hold on rob hold that thought okay hot take the death eaters it was filling in the story it was, we all gathered around with our legs crossed and Voldemort told us the story. Okay. Yeah. Now, Ruth, and when did you read the chapters? So, the first one, Flesh, Blood and Bone, I read probably a week and a half ago. Like a good boy, I did it like straight after the podcast. The other one, I read about two and a half hours ago. But I reread, I reread the, the Flesh, Blood and Bone as well. So, we are box fresh, guys. Good. You've reread that. That's good. I'm, I'm thinking 100% okay. on the quiz. Okay. Okay. Well, Phil, did you want to say anything? Well, yeah, I'm just we go wondering what your like emotional response to the chapters are. Ooh, you got to remember, emotions aren't, you know, your strong point. Really, in my bag. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, pretty tense. I mean, because it's it's the big action scene of the film, right? So there was there was some level of excitement at the end of the second one, particularly. All right, why don't we unpack it a bit more in the walkthroughs and see where we end up. All right then. Okay, cool. Chapter starts. Harry and Cedric's feet slam onto the ground. So we realise that. great. But yeah, they're... Well, I can't believe you've been been a bit flippant about this, Bob. (laughs) This is a young, promising... What a bombshell that is, by the way. We'll We'll get to it. Okay, we'll get to it very, very soon. So where are they? What can they see? What could you deduce at this point? They are, sorry, I'm holding a date like a mouse. I'm not sure why that's, that's happening. Funny, um, just had a date. What is going on? Rob, yeah. can you just centre and focus? Sorry, I'm really, I'm giddy. Yeah, because just... Rob, they're good for ripening your cervix. <laughs> that's correct, yeah. That's why I have them, certainly. So. I, yeah, I'm a bit flustered. <laughs> okay, let's just take, let's just take two. Okay. Where are they? They are in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. They've kind of been transported from, you know, holding the cup, mm-hmm. the Triwizard Cup trophy. And they've been transported into a graveyard. Mm-hmm. 
sort of spooky, spooky little scene. There's a church to one side and to the other side is a fine looking house on a hill. I'm guessing by mm. now you've made the connection as to what, where that house is and the relevance of it. Yeah, I, I did in retrospect. I don't, I don't know when exactly that dawned. I'm pretty sure it's spelt out in the second, yeah, that, that he says, my father's house. One of the points from this is it mentions like they were so far from Hogwarts they couldn't even see the mountains yeah. around it. I don't think they've ever been mentioned before. That Hogwarts is surrounded by mountains. Yeah, in my mental image, I didn't have any mountains. That's interesting. I don't know if they've been mentioned. I tend to agree with you I'm, that they're not massively emphasised. No. Yeah, because I never did, certainly in the first few books when I imagined it. But then, yeah, I suppose you think about like, it's kind of in the Scottish Highlands somewhere in some sort of valley. So yeah, that you can, make sense. yeah, it does. It does make sense. Even if the mountains are in very much in the distance, but around there, that would be the first thing you'd look for to, to give you some sort of land. Yeah. Landmark. So Harry kind of deduces that they're obviously a long way from, from Hogwarts. Harry feels, gets the feeling that he's being watched and it's Cedric that suggests that they should have their wands out. So at this point, Rob, did you think it was still part of the task? No, I think, yeah, no, I think I was I was clear that it was kind of, you've gone out of bounds, haven't they? They've clearly gone outside of the bounds. So. It wasn't a podium. It wasn't a podium, it though. Wasn't a, it wasn't a podium. That sort no. of comfortable, you know, ribbon, ticker tape celebration like, that I was envisaging. So being passed, like, champagne and doing, like, the... Grumpy kind of, yeah, none of that, that was happening. I don't know what you felt last time, Rob, when you thought that, that was all. <laughs> A little bit different. A little bit. Okay, so the next thing that happens is they hear someone approaching. So I think, crucially, they've, they've very much established that something is wrong. There's an element of danger, but not to the point where they feel any sort of need to attack. So someone is approaching and the, that person looks like they're holding what? Little baby. Creating a little baby of baby of robes. Handling something, yeah. Um, they stop near a marble headstone, a large marble headstone, and all of a sudden, Harry's scar explodes with pain. He falls to the ground, he drops his wand, and then he hears a voice say, What? Is, it, is this kill the spare? Is that that? Yeah. Bit? Such, oh my God. Like when you really kill hear that, though. Like that kind of it is... Hold on, Rob, could you could we hear Rob say that, that again? Really good. Kill the spare. <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of how you envisage it? Um, it's not exactly how Ray finds it. Yeah. A slight lisp. Yeah, it's more of a pitched one, Goldie's voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking at this point, it's, you know, when because they must have been thinking back of the mind is this still part of the task mm. and you know when people are like you know scared and they're like all right come on come on now we get it this is the task you can you can stop messing around oh you thought they were going to be like yeah good one <laughs> and yeah. like a kind of nudge yeah yeah, yeah. how the robes jumps jumps dobby <laughs> unfortunately no because what's the next thing that happens um, it's, isn't it revealed that it's, it's Wormtail is carrying the, no? The ne- well, the next thing that happens is Harry hears 
abracadabra, there's a flash of green light and he hears the sound of something that is clearly a body stared down to the side of him. The pain in his head stops. Mm. He opens his eyes and what can he see? Cedric's down, man down. Yeah, no, he's not just down. Yeah, he's out. He's gone. Cedric is gone. Dead. Surely at this point, you felt something other than, oh, so Harry's won. <laughs> there was something else there. Bam, we've got ourselves a new champ. <laughs> Gryffindor win. Um, so 100% Gryffindor win now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was a bit shocked because of the sort of suddenness of it. And oh. normally with these things, it's not just like, yeah, there's a bit more like ceremony around it where it was just like, bang, out of the blue, dead. So I liked that because it was shocked and it was, yeah, unexpected, which is good. And do you think it's appropriate for a kid's book? Yeah, well, I mean, all sorts of dark stuff's going on now. So I think it's, it's anything goes at this point. Let's be honest, yeah. no, no young kid is tucking into this monster. It's a thick boy. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. cool. Yeah, so Cedric's, Cedric's gone. The next second, Harry's pulled to his feet and he's dragged towards the headstone with what name on it? It's the Riddler. It's Tom Riddle. Yeah, and what is the relevance of this name? Who's, whose headstone is this? Let's see if we can get to that. This is Voldemort's dad. Brilliant. Also called Tom Riddle. Yes. Okay, Confusing. very good. This Voldemort's dad. Yeah. And who killed Voldemort's dad? He, he killed him. Yeah. He killed him, Voldemort. And he killed his dad's parents, his grandparents. Did he? Why? I don't remember that bit. Do you remember the story at the beginning at the Riddle House mm. where we find out elderly Mr. and Mrs. Riddle and their son, Tom, were murdered. Mm. No, there was no sign of what had happened to them. They felt oh, yeah, yeah. still in their dinner things, remember? Yep, yep, yep. Talk of the town yeah. in the hangman. In the hangman. Man. Yep. So that was all Voldemort, yeah? Yep. All yep. making sense? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so um, he's dragged to the headstone. The name on the headstone is Tom Riddle. How he then realised this is Wormtail, as Wormtail's tying him from neck to ankle to the headstone, because how does he realise that it's Wormtail? Just sees him, doesn't he? No. He's missing a finger. Yes. There's one of the hands has a finger miss, missing, and that's when it dawns on him exactly who it is. When did he? When does his finger cut off? I thought that's it happens in a minute. The finger cut off. Remember, it was the was the recognisable feature of scabbers. Oh yeah, remember, yeah. That's how serious knew was scabbers. New mm. Scabbers was Wormtail when? when he saw the article. And Wormtail cut off his own finger when he escaped, pretending he was dead and Sirius Black had killed him. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember? Now, what happens a bit further on is he now cuts off his hand. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it day one? We don't, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> no, right we don't. Yeah, let's crack on. Okay, so... So obviously now Harry's vision is uh, can only go in one way and he can see Cedric and a bit further on, he can see the Triwizard Cup 
and um, a bit closer to he can feel something moving by his feet and he sees the snake is there snakes join the party then he sees Wormtail moving into his line of vision a huge cauldron big enough to fit a fully grown man it's full of water and um, Wormtail likes to fire under the cauldron and then there's some amazing descriptions of what happens as the liquid is heating, becomes thicker um, until it looks like the whole surface is alight with diamonds. A few words are being shouted from the Voldy baby, which maybe you could do. Hurry and ready. Hurry. Get it ready. Yeah, okay, lovely. Yeah. Wormtail opens the robes and what is inside? How did you picture this? Oh, it's a sort of disgusting little shriveled sort of yeah. naked old man. I think the thing that like sticks out for me with this is like when it describes the skin as like really raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think that's the part of it that like sticks with me a bit. Okay, so so um, Wormtail places Baldy scaly baldy baby into the cauldron and how he hears it hit the bottom he then does a spell right and the spell starts with bone of the father I can't remember what it's a bone of the father unknowingly taken I think that's what it is is the first one and then it's something like you will resurrect your son so that's the first one and he um conjures some part of the buried father the next one is flesh of the servant willingly given and at this point he with a silver dagger cuts off his own hand Mm. good effort good commitment to the cause yeah the last one is blood of the enemy forcibly taken do you remember and the um the song Land of the Silver Birch, Home of the Beaver? Could you sing it? It sounds a bit like that. Do you remember that from school? No. Does it have God in it? So we mainly sang about God or Welsh stuff. It was one of the ones where you know, I can't remember the name of this like singing device, but you sing in groups and then you kind of layer it up. Around. Yeah. Yeah. It's one Go of on, them. sing it. You sing it, I'll learn it quickly, and then we can do around. No, hold on. I just want to... It just sounds like it. I'm wondering I'm how it could possibly sound like what's going on right now. <laughs> a children's yeah. round is about as far away as you can get tonally from what is currently happening, no, in my opinion. I don't no, know. No, it's, it's just the lines of this little bit of magic. Okay, I've got it. Land of the Silver Birch, Home of the Beaver. Yeah. Where still the mighty right. moose wanders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Bang I it. know this, yeah. It goes, land of the silver birch, home of the beaver, where still the mighty moose wanders that will. Banger, right. rocky shore, I will return and fall. Boom, boom, diddy, boom, 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 diddy, boom, 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 diddy, boom, boom, boom. Right, so. Okay, now you come in. Unknowingly given, you will restore your son. What you stuff like Bob, is when you go to a really fancy church and instead of like saying all the prayers and stuff, they sing everything in that kind of like monotone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flesh of the servant, yeah. given, you will revive your master. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> okay. Spot on. 
if I was Harry, I would have suggested that. Maybe, you know, maybe we could... Just an idea. Maybe we could riff off each other, do a bit of a round, get something going. Okay. Let's press on. The Voldy demon's been plopped in the cauldron. What happens now? Plopped in. We've done our poem, didn't do it in a round. And then once all this is done... Wormtail just collapses, sobbing by the side, by the side. I don't get you. Like, I'm not being funny. This is tragic, Rob, and you're laughing. It is tragic, yeah. He's he's just, he's done, isn't he? He's absolutely spent. He's done everything he can. I worry. I worry about your inability to empathise. Oh, I wonder come on, if this guy's some sort of emotional block. This guy's, I empathise with people who are worth it, worthy. This guy's a little worm, isn't he? He's a 3D character. Nevertheless, he, he is he is also abused. But he is um yeah, I don't know. My my sympathy's not massive for him. Okay, okay, cool. The next thing that happens is again, some really beautiful descriptions as to what happens with the poaching. There's a white steam white steam that bellows out, and Harry's just there thinking, please can it have drowned? As the steam starts to clear the outline of a skeletal tall man. Hello, mate. Rises slowly from inside the cauldron. It says the words, not hello, mate. <laughs> hey, uh, what does um, he say? <laughs> he says, does he say the Dark Lord has risen? No, he says, robe me. Oh, oh robe me. <laughs> yeah. Then Wormtail, like, pathetically just, like, whisks the robe on, just using one arm. How scary Ooh, is dear, that? Yeah. Look at that. Kingy's holding up the Jim K book illustration. I did wonder about the genitals. Nothing on show. I was, th- yeah, I was thinking, like, because you think about how big this cauldron is, I was wondering if, as he rose out, when he got to the point where he was stood and said, robe me, maybe the cauldron didn't come that, maybe it comes higher than like his midriff. So it's more like centaur. Yeah, nice. But I reckon cauldron only comes to like um, probably upper thigh. I, I think it's full frontal. I think it's just a, I think it's just a, a, an editorial decision not to describe uh, his genitals, I'll be honest. I don't think sure. it would be appropriate. Sure. No, but King, think about it, right? Is a cauldron big enough to fit a grown, like a grown man? Now, if you think about a cauldron big enough to fit me, (laughs) it's still going to be. Oh, no, I suppose. Uh, But Voldy is very tall. This is something that we know. Yeah. Uh, Oh, maybe we don't know that specifically, but I feel like that's a description that we're given. Maybe there's there's not the full description. So maybe, maybe he just comes up onto his knees. And then, like, sort of realizes he's about to emerge, and then he's like, oh, "Robe me, ask me, robe." <laughs> I don't think Voldemort is is. I don't think he cares about that. I don't think no. Harry's concentrating on that. I don't think Wormtail's got the, you know, kind of. He's not in the position where he's going to have a look. So I don't think it's relevant to anyone. Well, he's no Wormtail seen it already. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's relevant to anyone. What's going on there? Sure. But I know I've got to say here, I, even in really like tragic moments, you do have like out of body experiences where you go, oh. And I know if I was happy, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to say something about that later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> anything that's going to throw him 
yeah, just a, like I, it would just be a quick like noted. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'll mention to Ron later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a like Ron is not going to believe there. <laughs> just like a really quick like. I can't wait to tell Ron about this. I think it's a really intelligent way of Rowling noting that he's come out of the cauldron naked, but not dwelling on it. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it, yeah. it, yeah. it could very easily and quickly take away from the mood, which, as you've noted, Phil, she's gone to great length with the description to build up to this point. So let's push forward yeah. from, yeah. from yeah. that. The chapter ends, Lord Voldemort has returned. Is that, that that buys into the rebirth, right? Because he's rebirthed. Absolutely. Yeah. And Rob, I've said this numerous times on this podcast, but I not when you're listening, this is the scariest thing I've ever read in my whole life. Really? Are you I I suppose you don't read fiction, so you probably don't know about like being scared because I've read so many history books, factual books, and you don't get fear with them. No. You get like anguish and distress when you read about something when you read about the holocaust or you see those things it's a different emotion you don't feel fear because you're not necessarily like invested in one particular person's story or whatever whereas this i felt actual fear reading this i had to put the book down yes in my recent kind of fiction foray I've felt all sorts of other emotion and been like super invested in the book and empathy and like love and like investment in the characters but I've not had fear but that might just be because of the books that I have read or haven't read and I don't watch like scary films and stuff so yeah I've not had that were you scared not here no 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 He's just he's just acting all like let's, great. Let's press on with <laughs> chapter 33, the Death Eaters. Miller's has um got a walkthrough for us okay. this week. Crack on. So we start with a description of Lord Voldemort. And can you tell me what he looks like or how he's described? Yeah, so he's got he's got the raw skin we've already touched on. He's a skinny, tall bloke. He's got the slit nostrils, they're still there. He's got the red eyes, and they're kind of like cap cat pupils like the sort of slit pupil thing mm. yeah sort of quite a sort of another sort of clammy fella he's got long fingers reminds me a bit of salad fingers yeah the long fingers are horrible yeah and he totally pokes him in the face later with with that the cold tip of his finger yeah there's something really horrible about like yeah long fingers it's like um Shout out to all the long-fingered listeners. <laughs> yeah, if you've got long fingers, we do apologize. Like, this is really bad, um, but like, I it really, really freaks me out when like men have long fingernails. Yeah, I think that like they're not really long, but just, like you know, just slightly like they're over the edge of the finger. That Agreed. really freaks me out. Yeah, and that's a lot more controllable. Whereas the long fingers, obviously, you know, can't do much about it. But I totally agree. I I get sort of very nervous and uncomfortable if my own nails get too long I have to cut them quite urgently so yeah I don't like it yeah makes me like ugh. Wormtail seems to be well Wormtail is, is pleading with Voldemort for something we're not aware of what it is yet but what does Voldemort do instead at this point he he's just kind of looking around really isn't he like sort of getting into his body familiarizing himself with the the rebirthing 
Yeah, and then he he asks Voldemort. Uh, he's uh, sorry. He asks Wormtail for his arm. And what do we see on Wormtail's arm? He asks him for his arm. Voldemort sort of approaches a kind of cowering Wormtail, and he says, "Give me your arm, Wormtail." And Wormtail. Oh, I see. Wormtail sorry. assumes yeah, that yeah. he's going to fix his injury. What happens instead? Yeah, yeah. He says no, the other so, one. Yes. So he, he grabs the other one and he's got goes to his tattoo of the dark mark mm. and he sort of rubs it and, and sort of re regens it to does sort of some some kind of spell to sort of recharge it so that it's it's fired up and it, it goes black. Mm. And I think that's gonna happen on all of the other people who've got the mark. Yeah, so he touches it, doesn't he? And you're right, it goes black. What else happens? Oh, Harry's got another splitter. Yeah. The descriptions of this, if anyone's had a migraine, the descriptions kind of hurt, basically. Yeah. They're, they're well described because having only ever had one migraine, thankfully, it does actually feel like your head's splitting. Um, Shout out to the migrainers. So, <laughs> so then uh, we've been through where they are. Voldemort explains to Harry... Um, where they are and the Death Eaters now start to appear oh yeah they start they crawl well one starts and then they all start to crawl towards Voldemort saying master master they kiss his robe and then they make a circle you're shaking your head mm. yeah they're, li they're literally coming crawling back yeah absolute weasels the lot of them yeah it's it's really gross isn't it it is it is what do what does Voldemort now accuse the Death Eaters of? He kind of talks to them as a whole. Yeah, well, you know, they've they, they haven't. Well, he's been away for like 13, 14, 15 years or something, and they haven't they haven't been sort of coming to save him and help him and bring him back to power. They just sort of laid low. So yeah, he's given them a bit of a dressing down, a bit of a team talk. Not particularly happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and one of the Death Eaters now throws himself to the ground and begs for forgiveness. Um, and what does Lord Voldemort do? Don't, don't break rank. Don't break rank. One of them's tried to, and yeah, he gets, doesn't he get a sort of um, a torture, a bit of torture curse on the floor? Voldemort says that he does not forgive and that he wants yeah. 30, what was it, 13 years of service. of service back. He's lost before he will consider forgiving. Which I don't think would make it quite forgiveness, would it? No, no forgiveness is not a healthy attitude to life. You know, It's not, but what we know of Voldemort so far does suggest that he might not have a particularly healthy attitude to life. No, he's got a few issues. He then turns to Wormtail, whom he says return to him out of fear rather than loyalty. And what does he do for Wormtail? Yeah, so he kind of gives him that dressing down, but then he does say, but despite that, he has served me loyally. You know, he's brought me back to my form. He's done all that. He's chopped his hand off for me. So he gives him a new, a new, a new silver hand, uh, which has sort of got super strength powers, a bit like Terminator-ish. How does Wormtail feel about this? He's loving it. He's loving his new toy. I was saying it's really weird, like how happy he is about this. I would well, he's gone from, way rather have my hand. Oh, agreed. But he's gone from no hand and sort of searing pain to, you know, super, super hand. If it basically is your hand, 
but it's just super. And silver. And silver. I'm happy with that. No, I'm not happy with it. No, I reckon I'd be happy with that. If I was worm, I mean, I'd certainly be happy with that. Also, Wormtail is already very recognisable. Like, he doesn't need something else to, like, make him stand out. He's got a lot going on, hasn't he? Missing finger, silver hand, rat. He, Voldemort now addresses some of the um, Death Eaters individually. And what familiar names do we hear? We've got Malfoy, Malfoy's dad. Well, this is my question. I wasn't clear whether it was Crab and Goyle off of the school or their parents. What do you think? I think it, I think it seems to be described as them, as the, the boys, because they're like... There's one, there's one dead giveaway. It says, it says Crab and Goyle, and it says like they clumsily like kneel or whatever. But then afterwards it says Mr. Mr. Goyle. Or something. He says, they, they refer to they refer to as Crab and Goyle in the sense in the same way that Malfoy is referred to as Malfoy. Voldemort, yeah, the two largest hooded figures. We have Crab. You will do better this time, will you not, Crab? And you, Goyle. Now, the Crab and Goyle that we know from school were, were babies last time Voldemort was about. So that that true dead giveaway. But I do agree with you. There's a lot of deduction. There's a lot of... Why do their parents um, have to hang out? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree to it, isn't there? Yeah, there is. But <laughs> like, that's putting into children's book. Yeah. But those are their surnames. It's, it's just because they're like, the parents are also clubbed together. It just, it's funny. I don't know. I agree. It, it, I, I see what happened there. But yeah. no, they are their parents for sure. Did you recognise anyone else? Any other names? Um, what um, other names do we get then? Well, the other one that I got was McNair. McNair, sorry. Who is yeah. um, the person who comes to finish off Buckbeak or execute Buckbeak. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As we know, yeah, he never actually did. It. So Voldemort also mentions some loyal Death Eaters who are missing because they are in Azkaban. He mentions some Death Eaters that are dead. And then he also mentions three other missing Death Eaters. Can you remember what he says about them? Yes, yeah, so one's in Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. One has been loyal to him all the way through. One, I got confused because there, there's so many that are unnamed. Can you read it, Matt? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. He had reached the largest gap of all, and he stood surveying it with his blank red eyes as though he could see people standing there. And here we have six missing Death Eaters. Three dead in my service. One too cowardly to return. He will pay. One who I believe has left me forever. He will be killed, of course. And one who remains my most faithful servant and who has already re-entered my service. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Would you like me to just finish off what happens next? Referring to the same person. He is at Hogwarts. And it was through his efforts that our young friend arrived tonight. Yeah, so it's actually the faithful, the loyal Death Eater who is, he is the one, they are the one at Hogwarts. And we have, we've had hints of this all through the book, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. So Voldemort then kind of, you're right, starts almost like retelling the story from the point where Harry survives and the curse backfires what, 13 years ago? And so Voldemort explains to the Death Eaters how Harry survived as a baby 
and how it was his mother's protection. And he demonstrates that he can touch him now. And when he does touch Harry, um, it causes him immense pain. Because if you remember, Rob, from book one, what happened when Harry touched Quirrell? Oh, didn't he, did he faint? Was it like the sort of blitzing head pain again? Well, it was painful for Quirrell. Quirrell couldn't stand it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I've forgotten the name Quirrell. Last from the past. Voldemort then went on to explain what happened after Harry survived, how he was without a body and he had to possess animals, um, and how he met and then possessed mm. Quirrell. And then it kind of like fast forwards on to more recently... Um, when he said that Wormtail rejoined him. And who did Wormtail find whilst looking for Lord Voldemort? It's BJ, Bertha Jorkins, trekking in the, in the Albanian outback. Mm. Um, and yeah, he, he did, did a good one. He sort of slightly grossly overpowered her in the forest and um, brought her to him. And yeah. what information did Voldemort get from Bertha? So he kind of like did some sort of charm that like basically like souped out all her, her memories out of her brain and just left her a sort of uh, like a sort of deflated balloon, like the, the, oh. something like a mind and body were useless or something. Yeah, but can you remember what useful information he got from her that he mentioned? Oh, that the Tried Wizard Cup was happening at, uh, at Hogwarts. Yeah. And yeah, basically that 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 was happening and, and he could use that to sort of infiltrate. There was one other piece of information that she gave him. Well, okay. what, what was it? She, that she was the one who told him that he had a faithful Death Eater who was still oh, okay. and would be willing to re-enter his service. Step up. Right, 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 right. We don't know how she knows, knew that, but that's where he got that information from. And what does Voldemort now tell us about he told, tells us about how he's making this plan now, about how he's going to get Harry. But he says, oh, Dumbledore has very high protection of Harry. What do we learn about the protections that Dumbledore has put in place? Uh, well, he's obviously like put some yeah specific protections for Harry to try and, well, look after him and, and that they were strong so that Voldemort couldn't get in there. So he needed a plan basically to get access to Harry outside of Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, to be able to get, get a bit of his blood for the for the potion. Yeah, obviously we know that at Hogwarts, obviously Dumbledore's there, there's lots of protection in Hogwarts. But it, he also tells us that Dumbledore had used some very old, powerful magic to mm. protect Harry whilst he is at home with the Dursleys. Oh yeah. Mm. Um was that was that like a revelation to you, Rob, did that intrigue you? Because you have asked in the past, what's going on here? Why why is he going back there every summer? That's definitely a question you've raised before. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Presumably it's, presumably it's the same gear at um, the borough. No. Mm, no, it no. says that specifically that Dumbledore had used some ancient powerful magic to protect Harry whilst he is at his family home. Okay. So he was a sitting duck at the, at the burrow. That's not to say there aren't other things in place there. Uh, there and are also, like, Voldemort hasn't been in 
full existence you know he's existed but not in a form where he could harm harry up until now yeah i like the idea when he's like slithering around albania and he can't it's, it's like i was a snake for a while but i still couldn't use a wand so <laughs> um he said that the world cup was too soon that he wasn't powerful enough by then mm. to do something in such a Basically, to make a scene mm. in such a crowded place. And just popping back to Bertha, Rob, because the way you describe what had happened to her was was close. But there's, I think, a part of it that we should emphasise, which is that Voldemort obviously used some form of persuasion to get information out of her, which I suppose we can presume is some kind of torture. But then he does add, she told me many things, but the means I used to break the memory charm upon her were powerful. So there was a memory charm on Bertha that Voldemort had to break. And I think that's information worth emphasising. What is a memory? I didn't, I didn't... Can you remember when you seen a memory charm earlier in the book? I thought, I thought that this charm was basically him, like, sort of downloading the contents of her brain, kind of thing. That's okay. This is why we're yeah. going over it, just to clarify. C- can you remember when you saw a memory charm earlier in the book? You, you have seen one. Books. Yeah, yeah, book, books. Is it when Snape Skinner wants to, he says, oh, I'll tap into your head, Harry? I know that there are, there are several, but I think the one that, that stands out the most is in book two. What does Lockhart, what happens to Lockhart? Oh, don't they, they wipe his memory completely? Well, he, uh, he tries to do a memory charm on Ron. Oh, and it bounces back because he uses Ron's broken wand, it backfires and wipes his own memory. Earlier in this book, we saw a memory charm being repeatedly used on a muggle at the Quidditch World Cup. Oh, yeah, 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 to the old men in black. But yeah, we we see the Ministry repeatedly using memory charms on him every time somebody accidentally does some magic. So a memory charm is something that is used to alter or wipe your memory of something it's your men in black sort of laser thing so bertha's got a charm on her and and voldemort has to break that charm to get access to whatever memory it is that was that was being suppressed by the charm uh so bertha's like a sort of wiped hard drive and he's one of those like tech geeks who can restore the data. Yes, and then extract it. Unfortunately, yeah, that pretty much breaks her, and she's a she's a husk mm. by the end of that process. And I disposed of her, is what he said, yeah. which is pretty grim, very grim, very horrible, and very sad. So Voldemort then goes on to explain how he got Harry here. Can you explain? Yeah, he obviously wanted to get him outside of Hogwarts. So in a massively overly convoluted plan, he puts gets him to be entered, first of all, in the tournament, his servant on his mole on the inside. And then his mole on the inside also turns the cup into the portkey so that he can transport him to to the, the graveyard to do the old the old ceremony, the rebirthing. Mm. Rob. Rebirther. Who is the faithful Death Eater? Who is the Maul? Well, it's it's one of two. 
I think. Okay. I reckon it's one of two at this stage. It's either, I'm not going to look at your faces, just in case I, you get I, a little yeah, We'll turn our cameras off. Let's turn our cameras off. I can go like this. Stopping the video. Go on. I think it's either, so it's either Karkaroff of the beard. I think he's a he's obviously a, an obvious candidate. I've ruled out Snape because I think that's too too obvious. I think he showed a bit of goodness. I think he's just an old bitter bitter old bastard. And the other candidate is is your man Ludo Bagman because he says he says in the um, he says something about helping him to win the tournament to make sure he touches the cup. And Bagman's been all over him like a rash, um, trying to help him. Yeah, but also, Rob, can I point out why it can't be Snape? And that's because this person wasn't already at Hogwarts. This is someone that must have come on the scene this year. Do you get what I mean? True, true. In, like, the Hogwarts dynamic. Very interesting. Okay, let's move on then. That, by the way, was also a piece of muggle mail from a longtime friend of the show, Rosie King. She just wanted to ask you directly, who do you think the faithful servant is at Hogwarts? Ludo Bagman. Okay, let's let's crack on with it. Um, Voldemort tortures Harry, crucios Harry, uh, and then yes. he basically tells Harry that he's going to kill him. He commands Wormtail to untie him and give him his wand classic like sort of fiction trope this there's two there's two in one actually there is baddie baddie doing a long kind of narrative and and just chatting on for ages explaining the story Mm. and second long drawn out process of of bumping off hero main character rather than just giving him the old Cedric Diggory treatment, <laughs> which admittedly wouldn't work What's well, going to happen but, then, Rob? Well, Harry's going to get away. He's going to, what I've also why has Voldemort this, given him his wand and untied him? Oh, because he wants to like show that he can actually nail him in, in proper, as close to like a fair, fair combat. He's got all his, all his posse watching. One of the, the things I liked about this chapter was just the fact that the, the snake is just pottering about throughout, just sort of circling around, not really doing much, just pottering around the graveyard, snuffling, you know. Just gets a nod every now and then, Nagini. Yeah. Okay, well. Sam and Nagini. What walkthroughs they were. Very enlightening. Let's do this then. What are your ratings? What are your ratings? What are your ratings? What are your ratings? It's ratings time. Yeah, may I have a rating for chapter 32, Flesh, Blood and Bone? I've gone for an A. A for acceptable what? for flesh, blood and bone. Yeah. Okay. I th- this, is, this is like, it's borderline, right, between the two, because... It's quite a short chapter. It obviously like you, that was a that was a bonus for you. No, 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 no. But like it, it, it progresses the story along quite a bit. It's it's action packed. It's good. Um, it's kind of well written. So kind of well I, written. I don't know, like outstanding is a bit. You've given it an A. You're only giving it an E. Oh, I f- hang on. Yeah, I'll give it an E then. Okay, I'll bump it up to an E. Right. It's an E. You meant an E for exceeds expectations. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. You, you were going for the second one down. <laughs> yes, that's what I okay. meant. Maybe, just take, maybe just take a look at your sort of marking grade and quite a bit. Do, do you know what? Normally I, I check that every time, but I felt like I knew it now because <laughs> I've done it so many times. You obviously don't. I need to go back to my marking scheme. Okay. It's an E. It's a confirmed E. It's a confirmed E. Okay, Rob, thank you very much. And can I have a rating for the Death Eaters? It is also an E. 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 Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. It's a while since we had an EE. Oh, Rob, why are you so silly? You dress like a muggle and you look like a Weasley. Oh, Rob, what do you think? You stupid muggle likes to drive our listeners to the brink. Damn muggle. <laughs> right, so let's have a look at what we've got in the muggle mail bag. I'm going to start with... Must be bulging oh. by this point, surely. Well... We've not been great at getting them out. <laughs> That's been a bit of a drop off in audience interaction, which is fair enough. We did have a go at them a few weeks ago and we got a quite severe backlash. <laughs> so we're not going to go there again. Um, I've got some muggle mail from longtime friend of the show, Tabitha. She says, On your next recording, can you please do a shout out for Marit and her sister? Brackets name unknown. <laughs> New fans of the show from Amsterdam. Well, well, I love Amsterdam. I want to go back to Amsterdam. Maybe we could hang out with them. Yeah, I, well, I'd love to hang out with Marit and her, her sister of unknown name. I'm, I'm going there um, this summer. Hit me up. The only other muggle mail I had was from long-time friend of the show, Rosie King, which we've already touched upon. So I'll hand over to the male girls. Um, I'm not sure I've got any um, muggle men. I've got a lot of our posts. But I do want to read this, which is not for Rob, but I, I want Rob to... Uh, I think Rob should also hear it. This is um, from Kirsty, who is Phil's old... Was it history, history teacher or English? Yeah, history teacher. Yeah. Long-time friend of the show. She says, just to confirm what Phil said in the last podcast, she was a bit of a status symbol in school. <laughs> Certainly, sixth form, she was popular with her teachers. We also got to vote for head boy slash girl, partly because you could always count on her to start the class discussions. Billy, are you, are you blushing? She does. She does. She's blushing a little bit. She's blushing her cheeks. She's blushing. This is hilarious. <laughs> also, from what I observed of a lot of the boys in sixth form, if Phil was in the magical world, she'd definitely be part of Vila. <laughs> oh, oh. Hello. Oh my God, this is hilarious. <laughs> I've never seen this girl I've never seen Phil embarrassed. I've never. We've known Phil for ages, and I've never seen her embarrassed ever. <laughs> I don't think ever, but I think she's a little embarrassed right now. Even though she, Phil, you were bigging yourself yeah, up I with this a minute ago. It's when so. I do it because I kind of do it in a joke way. Wow, no, no joking. Carry on. The teachers were aware of it. But thank you. Thanks, Kirsty. It's good to get some uh, credibility behind <laughs> my stories. <laughs> All right, Rob, thank you very much for joining us. We need to give you your chapters or chapter. chapter. It's a one -er. We love a one -er. For next time, we would to read chapter number 34, Miller's. Priore Incantatum. Mm, bit of Latin. Before the birth? I don't know. Priori incantatum. Well, before the magic. Okay, yeah, that's not, don't know. not a bad shout. 
All right, Rob. Well, we'll see you next time. Have, Have a, good a good week. Have a good one, mate. Get reading. See you later, nerds. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. He's gone. Thoughts? Well, at least it wasn't an A. Yeah, I think, you know, I can cope. It annoys me that he wasn't, like, scared. I, I was hoping that he'd feel a little bit more than nothing. Um, and I was hoping he'd be a little bit upset that Cedric had died. But maybe I just expect too much from him. He doesn't really do emotions. Yeah, I think... No, he doesn't, does he? It's hard to really register what he's feeling as well because i'm not i'm not sure that his retelling of what he feels is 100 accurate but but then i might be wrong about that because he's also talking about other fiction books um and he's using emotive words to to describe how he feels yeah. about those at least he said he was shocked and he thought that the shock was a good thing yeah um and yeah, EE. It's not not bad, is it? It's not bad. I was very angry when I thought it was going to be an A. It was an a. Like, given an A, yeah, that would have been. It just bad, would have it? been an absolute piss take. Well, and also because he was then just listing like all the good things. Yeah, about it. like he does need yeah. to kind of sort himself out a little bit. I would say. I like that. Even like he's so optimistic. That even after they didn't go back to like the celebrations, yeah, yeah. he was like, "Oh, it's a trick." He thought, "Oh, oh yeah." In a yeah. minute, they were like, "Hey!" Bobby hops out of a cloak. <laughs> right, yeah. let's go through a couple of things, deep divey stuff. Then we'll come to the outposts in a bit. So I've got some deep divey stuff. I've got stuff. one okay. deep divey stuff. Why don't you guys drop it in at the appropriate moment? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Okay, right now? No, no. <laughs> Chronologically, as the chapters go, that is how it's done. That's how it's always been done. That's the best way to do it. I always remembered Voldemort killing Cedric. In my head, Voldemort really? killed Cedric. This is what I wanted to say. I only realised, I just realised that like it's not Voldemort. It's obviously Voldemort's wand. Yeah. yeah. But it's not Voldemort, it can't be, so it must be Wormtail, yeah. even though we know that. Doesn't it say that it was Voldemort who killed Frank? No, it was the again, it Frank, Frank Price again, it was the wand because Frank comes out of the wand. You are right, no, it was kills, Voldemort. Voldemort kills Frank Price. Um, Wormtail's wand though. Uh, no, Voldemort is Voldemort's wand. Yes, but why does he use Voldemort's Wormtail. wand? Yeah. No, I don't think he does. Well, I think he must do because what we know is that it wasn't Wormtail's, it wasn't Voldemort's wand that killed Bertha Jorkins because she doesn't come out, does she? No, she doesn't. No, it could have just, it could have been further back. But it's not every spell he's ever done. Oh, but it wouldn't be further back than Harry's parents. It wouldn't be, yeah, it goes to Harry's parents. Yeah, he, he does. Again, we don't know, unfortunately, what st exact state Voldemort is in when he's doing that stuff to Bertha, whether he's doing it um, without a wand or, you know, just torturing her in more manual ways. But he definitely has to do some magic yeah. to her. Yeah, and it's not that, like, the torture and getting the information out, I don't think is a problem. 
The thing is, he can't have killed her no. with his wand. No, he can't have. He just says, I disposed of her. It doesn't say that he killed that he killed her. I mean, but that's just a that's what he means. Mm, yeah, I suppose it is what he means, but there are many ways to to kill without using a Vada Kedavra. Maybe he would have been a bit nervous about using it, given that last time he used okay. it, it backfired on him. But now, hang on, this isn't just when it's Pro and Cantatum, it's not just a Vada Kedavra, is it? Because the hand comes out. No, right. We'll look at this when we do do the reread now, but I'm sure it suggests that other just like little wisps come. I'm sure that I'm sure I thought of this before, and there's this. Oh, we're gonna have to. We we need to come back to this next chapter. Okay, well we'll come back to this one thing next chapter in Priori in, in Cantata, but, but, but let's just discuss that it's not Voldemort that kills him. No, no it's wormed out. Totally threw me that. Yeah. To be honest. And I suppose because we know Voldemort has some form of a body. And so we know that he was able to, he did kill Frank, didn't he? Yes. And he also tortured Wormtail. Yes. Yes, he used Crucio. Yeah. So he can kind of hold yeah. a wand and form wand magic. But obviously at this point, he's being carried. So he's just not really, really in the position to, is he? No. And he doesn't need to. No. Yeah, he doesn't need to. And you're right, it is a little bit weird that Wormtail is using his wand, but um, he they have to have his wand. They'll want to have that light close by. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I was happy to clear up Rob's confusion from the first chapter and to see that he was able to correctly identify who's in the grave. And we had to kind of walk him through, you know, the murder of the riddles from the beginning of the book a little bit, but I think it's good that he's, he's got that. It makes you realise, if he just read this on his own, he would get to the end and just be like, nothing much yeah. happened. I love how it's foreshadowed that the cauldron's big enough for like a fully yes, grown I man love that to... As well. Him. That is massive, though, isn't it? That is big. That is like big. a big thing to haul with water in. Why doesn't he magic it? Maybe, maybe you're not allowed to for the potion maybe. to work. Maybe there's got to be some sort of like physical. Maybe. Did Voldemort really have no other option than to trust Wormtail to do this? I know he mentions it in his speech to the Death Eaters. You know, poor wizard though he is, he did what was yeah. required to bring me back. But man, was it risky. Because if you're Wormtail, you've got the option to mess it up and nick the wand, take the wand with you, free Harry and say, well, I'm really sorry about what happened with your parents, but look what I've just done. I've redeemed myself and now I'm going to turn into a rat go into hiding and Voldemort's gone. Yeah, but he wouldn't he wouldn't have redeemed himself, would he? No, but Voldemort must have known that Wormtail did have that choice. But he didn't really like because he knows that but well basically it's be a rat for the rest of your life or or the potential of being right. Okay, what we've got to remember yeah is that there is a definite vanity about Wormtail. Yeah. He he desperately wants to be a big deal. 
Mm. And but he also really wants the the protection of bigger boys of someone powerful, and he's lost any possibility of that yeah. on the other side. And also, it's like an ego thing. Like he's he's important to Voldemort. Like Voldemort needs him. No one else needs him or even cares yeah. about him. Did Voldemort not have the option of using Wormtail to approach another more dependable former Death Eater or to have Moody, uh, you know, Barty Crouch Jr. make some excuse why he couldn't be in Hogwarts for a few days to, to carry this out? Well, Barty Crouch Jr. is making sure Harry gets there. Mm -hmm. And I think with the thing with the other Death Eaters is that he doesn't know who he can trust. I think he... He does seem to have a very good understanding of whatever Wormtail's like psyche is, but I don't think it goes deep enough because this is something that I wanted to bring up and I think now would be an okay time to do it. Yeah. Is that the, the wording of that poem and not like high on the water's edge, I'll fix my wigwam, not that one. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the wording of the poem with so I think it's like bone of the father unknowingly taken. Then it's flesh of the servant willingly given. And I would argue yeah. that it isn't willing. And you know how like we ended up talking about um, how maybe what Moody did to the Triwizard Cup maybe meant that the whole tournament was like destined to fail and end in tragedy and maybe Cedric was destined to die. We get this element of what happened now being destined to fail when we hear later that Dumbledore gets that look of triumph. But I wonder if mm. there's also an element of being destined to fail around the wording of that because he is not a selfless servant. He's not giving his flesh in the way that Barty Crouch Jr. would have. I agree. No. Where it would have been this absolute honour to do it. He's doing it out of fear. Yeah, I agree. Out of desperation. It's very much this like constant push and pull. And he does feel this strange loyalty to Harry. Well, not strange. He feels this loyalty to Harry. If if Harry's side had been stronger in that moment, he would betray Voldemort. You know, if Dumbledore was suddenly there with Harry and it was suddenly like, Wormtail, you've got a choice right now. You come over with me and, and Dumbledore or you go with Voldemort as he is, he'd go. I agree. He would go to Dumbledore and Barty Crouch Jr. would and uh, he would yes. fight. Yes, a Bellatrix if it would be an honour for her to give a hand. So maybe that's compromised the, the resurrection spell in some yeah. way as well. I mean, speaking of the flesh, you know, willingly or otherwise mm -hmm. given, I'd cut the hand off over the cauldron so it goes straight in. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't cut it off to the side and then have to look at it. And pick up your it, own hand. Pick it up with your other hand, you know, you're running, I mean, you're really short hands now yeah. as well, because you're holding a knife. That's like, I'm surprised that as a character, he's able to actually do that because I don't think I could do that. There's absolutely no way no. I could and do I'd that. Say, like, I'd say- Not even no. 
I'd say I've got more like willpower than he has. Well, maybe he's a little underestimated. Why do you think Harry's instinctive magical ability doesn't kick in here? Because we know in the past, as yeah. children, when when he's tied up on the stone, this is a question that I've never thought of before. I've always just been like, oh yeah, he's tied up. So James he Bond, doesn't really. have a you know, he's tied up. He can't, he can't do anything. He doesn't have a wand, but his wand isn't far away. But as a kid, Harry didn't have a wand and he was able to do magic. Yeah, but in moments where it was that's because it's prompted. not uh, harnessed. I think that when you begin to learn learn it and harness it, you lose that instinct. Yeah, mm. you don't. It doesn't burst out of you. Because when Harry, when that, how that did happen to Harry, he didn't choose when yeah. it would happen. I'm sure there were plenty of instances where he was being bullied or whatever else, and he would have loved to be like, be able to break out of his cupboard or, yeah. you know, be able to, D- Dudley or whatever. But he he couldn't choose when it would happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point, but I think your point, Millers, is the the answer to it. I have a question here, which is basically where has Voldemort's wand been? We're going to come back to that next week. Oh, this is a huge there's, issue. There's, there's a lot. Well, there's a lot to talk about. Let's come back to it next week when we tackle all of that priority in Kentucky. Are we on to the Death Eaters yet? We're getting there. Yeah. Well, no, we're we're basically there. The Death okay. Eaters coming. What did you want to say? I want to say, do they always have to change when Voldemort can't like calls them? And like, what happens if you're like Death Eater robes are in the wash? (laughs) Or like, you're in, you know, like, imagine like, oh, you're not at home when you're in the middle of like shopping and you're like, oh shit, everyone's gonna see me put my Death Eater robes. Like, oh, so awkward. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon they have to immediately make an excuse wherever they are, apparate home. Go home, change. And and, these, and and apparate there. I reckon that's why it takes them a little bit of time. Yeah. And because remember that they haven't found they haven't worn these robes in ages. Mm. Yeah, I mean obviously they got them out for the Quidditch World Cup, didn't they? So, but like you, it's not something you're wearing all the time. Like it might take you a while. You might have like put it in the, one of those um, Hoover bags yeah. under the bed. Big question, doesn't it? Maybe one or two of them had a bit of a. A sniff or an inkling that he no, might be coming back. Did. Their marks they would have been, their marks would have yeah, been thinking, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. So they they would have started preparing. Obviously, I'm being silly. Um, no, I think it's a fair point. point, though. And I do think that's why it takes them a few minutes. Yeah. Right, all this secrecy amongst the Death Eaters, right? They don't know who else is there. That goes out the window pretty quickly. Well, they have all have a special place to stand in. They somehow know, even though they can't ever look the same. Yeah. Um, and re- Voldemort refers to them all by name. Well, we, there's a few things that we don't know. A, was Karkarov lying about that to make him sound... Yes, that's, know, true. To, that's to, true. To make I mean, it sound more, more yeah. feasible that he wouldn't be able to give mm. as many names. Or And also, is Voldemort changing tack because he knows he's down a few people... And he's sort of, you know, going for it differently this time. I just wanted to ask you guys as well about the way the Death Eaters are depicted. Because I've got very, it's one of those scenes where I've got very heavily influenced by the film, I think, um, over the years. And obviously I've listened to it dozens of times, but the the film is just so visually, I think, well done in in this bit that that's in my head. And the depiction of how the Death Eaters act 
in the film compared to what they do here oh, is very are. is very different. Yeah, so there's no they don't drop to their knees and start kissing his feet yeah. oh. in such an overly sort of proselytizing kind of I can't of way. really remember these films. They pretty much just all arrive and just stand yeah. in a circle. I think maybe one point Malfoy drops yeah, to his knees. There's this kind of description of when they arrive. Yeah, I love it. I love they it. All, they all drop to their knees and yeah. they're literally like kissing his feet. Yeah, kissing his robes, like crawling along the ground. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think that adds that the film then lacks? Well, it really sums up like their relationship with Voldemort. Yeah. Dumbledore says, says like Voldemort doesn't have and never has had yeah. friends. These are followers. Yeah, and I think it adds a lot of texture to it that I think the film, like the screenplay people would have just been like, we don't have time to flesh this out and make that just not look weird. But I definitely like it. It also, yeah, it shows that they have like basically no no power or even like autonomy yeah. especially because these are people like high Lucius Malfoy people, these yeah. are a lot of them yeah like high status like powerful people outside of this and they just go to basically do yeah. nothing why is evil often so charismatic and how do you think that comes across in this chapter well I don't think Voldemort is charismatic yeah he's not really I think that evil often is like for example MLMs cult yeah. leaders very very charismatic cult leaders but Voldemort I wouldn't call charismatic listening back maybe this is just the work of Stephen Fry I found it quite charismatic but on. Stephen Fry is very charismatic I think you're thinking of Stephen Fry not Voldemort <laughs> maybe easily confused so a couple of little things that are mentioned here Voldemort mentions, let me find the quote, but how could they have believed I would not rise again? They who knew the steps I took so long ago to guard myself against mortal death. So JK's got the Horcruxes in here. Yes, she does. Well, it's not, it's not clear, but it, it ties in a bit more nicely with the where the narrative is going from this point onward than I remembered. Uh, so that was quite rewarding to hear mm. him say that. And it's interesting as well because he seems to be suggesting that they they knew, at least to some yes. extent, yeah, about the Horcruxes. When it's made quite clear by Dumbledore that he kept that information very very yeah. close yeah so do you think that is a direct reference to the horcruxes or do you think that's referencing maybe other things that he may have done or maybe I... it's maybe it's just referencing one or just an idea that he you know something he insinuated he'd done rather than i think that 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 storyline is like not fully formed at this point probably has an idea of it mm. i'm sure they would know that there was one or some, I think maybe not mm. what they were and where they were and this idea of seven. No, I agree. I, I think that it would have been a case of he heavily implied or or just said that he'd made. Yeah. At least one. Yeah. 
I mean, Regulus, Regulus goes after a Horcrux. Yeah. And he was a Death Eater. And he, I can't remember how he got that information. From a creature, but he wasn't supposed to know. No, he wasn't supposed to know. So at least we, we certainly know that he wasn't open with what they were, where they were, how many there were, but he may have just heavily implied yeah. it. Who are the six Death Eaters then that he mentions? Three dead. I mean, the other the other three are easy. The cowardly one is... The one gone forever is Snape. Mm -hmm. And the one at Hoggy Warts is Barty Crouch Jr. Who the three dead are? Three dead. Yeah, there's one, one, one is mentioned in the pencil. In the trials, yeah, they said he would rather, you know, he died rather than yeah. come with that. And Moody says not before he took a piece of me yes. with him. Yeah. I can't remember who is, is I it? can't remember. Who is that? Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's one of the ones that Karkaroff names. Yeah. yeah. If any of you listeners out there want to do some snooping and investigating um, as to who the three dead Death Eaters are, then let me know. I suppose it's also possible that it's one of the ones who went into Azkaban when um, uh, Bellatrix and Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah. were sent in there. Now, what is also worth noting is that it's implied quite heavily that they stood in the same order or in a set order. Yeah. Now, depending on whether or not Karkaroff was lying about not knowing who was who specifically or completely, would some of them potentially be able to deduct that Barty Crouch Jr. is the one who's at Hogwarts? Because Voldemort says, right, in yeah. this space, there are three dead who they would presumably all know who they were. One who is um, a coward, one who is lost, and then one who's already at Hogwarts. I think there's definitely a chance they'd be able to guess, but it's like, that's okay, because it's not actually a secret, is it, from them? Well, it's, well, they think he's in Azkaban and dead. That's, yeah, the, but... that's the public understanding of the situation. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. I suppose that he said... Because if he said, well, then, if then he approaches, would it, he would probably think, they would probably think that he was one yeah. of the dead. Well, it because if he approaches a gap where there's supposed to be six people, let's say that Karkarov was lying and that they do know who is supposed to be there, and he says three are dead. Some of them might think, hold on, four of the people who stood there are dead, because presumably they'd all know who those three dead ones were. Yeah, yeah. Because they wouldn't have seen them for the last. But, they, but then they know that, like, basically either he's wrong or one of those people is, aren't, are not dead. But I wonder if lots of them think it's Snape. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, they might think that it's Barty Crouch Jr. who's gone. Or they might think that it's Karkaroff. Yeah, possibly. And that he's putting Snape as the coward. Possibly, yeah. He... I also think that, like, it seems like they're so worried about themselves in their own position with in relation to Voldemort that when they're standing there I'm not sure they're like doing and not thinking anything. yeah I agree possibly not possibly not they're thinking what can I say to like make my case yeah you may be absolutely right it's mentioned that he's helped by the rats and that he seems to be able to communicate with them or that he has an affiliation with them yeah which I thought was interesting and I wanted your thoughts on maybe if or how well anime Jai can communicate with the animals that they turn into or whether you feel, yeah, just your thoughts on that. 
I think that's dependent on how long they spend as that animal. I think we've spoken about similar things before, haven't we? Yeah, so I think, yeah, Wormtail will be very good at that by now because he lived as a rat for so long. Mm. But also, don't forget, that's a dig, isn't it? Yeah, it is a dig, yeah. It's like just an opportunity to put him down. I do agree with you, though, Phil. I think if you spent longer and longer as the animal, your ability to communicate with them would improve. Yeah. Rob obviously brought it up. The fact that Voldemort does the kind of let's draw it out and have a proper fight rather than just like do away with him. What do you think would have happened if Voldemort had just tried to do away with him? And I know we touched on it a bit already, but why do you think he does this? Or is there anything in the book you can remember that um, justifies why he does this rather than just bid him off? Like, I think it's really interesting because it is a bit like, oh, well, narratively, it needs to happen and it needs to happen in lots of stories to make them interesting. But also like it plays to the ego of Voldemort of which is massive. Yeah. And you can't just not acknowledge that. Like, of course he would be like this about it. It's all very public. It's in front of like his death eaters you know, all of those things are really important. I think Rob really nailed it when he said that he wants to kind of give it the big and, you know, really show that yeah, he can destroy him. Yes, absolutely. Well, he's got something to prove. 100%. I mean, what does it change? Do you think if he just tried to kill him that... He would have been able to kill him. Even though well, no, there's the would... double protection. No, he would have, he would have been able to kill... It... He would have been able to kill the Horcrux, wouldn't he? That's what would have happened. Yeah. He'd, He'd still have, have to kill him twice. He'd have had to kill him twice. Yeah. And I think it's really important that he obviously lets him pick up his wand because we know yeah. what happens next. Yeah. And and how that's relevant later, later on in the books with the twin cores and thing like that. What's your question? Tell me what's your question. Question. Tell me what's your question. What's your question? Tell me what's your question. Okay, so a new real fan. Oh my goodness, we've got a new request as well. Oh my goodness, someone uh, tagged us in their story. Oh my goodness. Nice. Welcome um, to a new real fan. So I don't know this person's name. They've um, a message from their like business account, mm. which is Shutter and Joy Photography. Shutter and Joy Photography, shout out. They are obviously a further behind in the series. She's um, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Okay, Rachel. Real fan, Rachel. Hola. So Rachel says, on series two, and you're discussing how Myrtle's parents might have had their memories erased in the way that Hermione does to her parents. My question is, do Hermione's parents get their memories restored once it's all over? Yeah. I don't know the canon answer to that. No, I don't think there I don't think we know. Like we definitely don't we don't know from the books, do we? We don't find out. No, I don't think there is necessarily one. But I like to think that the answer is yes. I really hope I, I so. I mean I can't imagine 
Hermione Granger yeah. not? We know Hermione survived, so like, there's no way she would not. She also knows where they are. Oh. Yeah, so there's no way she wouldn't go back, and that was her plan all along, right? I think so. Yeah. She said, "I'm sure yeah. she says that's her plan all along." Yeah, Rachel, we're all pretty certain and agreed that Hermione restores her parents' memories. Oh. I always just feel so bad for Hermione's parents. Like, oh. it, it might be better off not knowing. The the only way that it might be that they don't is that Hermione makes the decision of my life is very much here now and are they happier but I don't think she would make that decision for them do you know what I mean no I don't think she would no because Hermione wouldn't and she would the want, only thing in their life she would want to have yeah. that relationship with her yeah but she is an only child and they basically lost her well, they didn't lose her. They didn't lose yeah, her. But... They lose her from our perspective as a reader, but there's like several months of the year that we don't Yeah, but she's see. never there. Remember how she's always trying to get out of the holiday? Even, yeah. Right, King, even when they book... No, that's because she's at boarding school. She's at boarding school. She's at boarding school. When is the time in your life when you spent the least time with your parents? For me, it was between the ages of 11 and 17, even, oh, though, I lived, even though I lived at home. So... I really think that once she's grown up and got a job, like we all do, you mature and you maybe... Need your parents for childcare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, rinse your parents for childcare <laughs> as necessary. What else did you want to add about well, Rachel? No, well, I've just found this message from this morning, which is from someone called Rachel. And that's just looking her. at the picture, that's her, isn't it? That's her, yeah. Okay, so she's also sent us um, a post from her personal account... <laughs> she did say just finished series two how did he not know why harry was closing his eyes i know rachel like <laughs> we're still not over it i don't think i'll ever go over that i'm never getting never moving on from that so she says i was thinking about the chamber of secrets which led me to two questions one do you think the chamber chamber of secrets is a good name for the chamber Yes, it sounds cool, but it makes it seem like it should have more of a resemblance to the room of requirement with all the hidden things rather than having just one monster. The Chamber of Secrets is a great name for a book. Yes, it is. Um, I think that's a really fair point because it, it would surely have like Slytherin in the title or like the lair of Slytherin would be far more. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Yeah. The, the Chamber of Secrets is just kind of like the name that the legend has been given. Yeah. It's not really like an official name that is actually being officially given. But it's not actually a Chamber of Secrets, is it? No. It's just a secret chamber. There's one secret and it's yeah. that there's a chamber. Yeah. And yeah, it is much more of a secret chamber than a, than a I, chamber. I, I reckon it just came from that. Like you said, it comes from like myth and rumour that obviously is based on something real and is the myth of this secret chamber. Number two, what are your feelings on the titles of the books? My main issue is with the Goblet of Fire. The Goblet is such a small part of the story. Yeah. Yes, it is the catalyst, but surely a better title would have been The Triwizard Tournament. I also take issue with book six. I know Harry gets obsessed with the Half-Blood Prince's book, but why is it not titled with something about Horcruxes? I think the Half-Blood Prince is a really good title. Yeah, personally. I love the Half-Blood. I'm, I'm heavily biased towards yeah, that book. It is a good title, and it doesn't mean that it's like a true representation of what the story is about. I think, um, I think it's a really good point with the Goblet of Fire, 
because I have actually thought that before. I think it's a brilliant name for it, but would I change it? Probably not. But is it descriptive of like the actual content in the book? No, even like Harry Potter and the Triwizard Cup or you know anything to do with Triwizard would be more descriptive. But I love Goblet of Fire. Um, Half-Blood Prince, I think it is important because you could say Snape and Snape being the Half-Blood Prince and the way he ties into the story is as important as the Horcrux storyline. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I remember yeah. that moment reading it, you know, when um, after Snape's killed Dumbledore and they're running from the ground and Harry yeah. catches up with Snape and he uses is it circumstantial or something and Snape says how dare you use my spells against me I'm the half of prince and that's how that chapter ends and if it wasn't for that being the title of the book I think I think that has so much impact and a big part of that is because it is within the title of the book. It's also such an interesting one just from like a publishing perspective because it's a lot of people especially kids and I'm thinking especially I don't mean to be rude to you um citizens of, of the US of A but I think it's less likely that they would know what a goblet is than British people for some reason but do you think they're thinking of the cover because I can't well I don't have it right here but a, the goblet of fire like that's a great image isn't it but yeah. you can still get the triwizard tournament and have that image the image is, is the know, first task they don't know what a triwizard tournament is either so no but you know it's a tournament it, but it, it's not as good the fit the problem is saying that calling it harry potter and the triwizard tournament just doesn't sound as good no no I, I i don't think that goblet of fire is a bad name but i'm surprised it wasn't named something to do with the tournament like in the same way that they had to change Philosopher's Stone, but they wouldn't have necessarily been thinking about a US market with the first one. No, they would have been totally thinking about it with, with the fourth the fourth, one. But that makes yeah. me think that it's obviously not an issue because that is definitely something that they would have taken into account and probably would have consulted on. I imagine it's just the case that JK just had it in her head that this is what this book is called. And I imagine she probably wouldn't hear anything other than that. Yeah. Even if they said, no, is that the best name for the book? No, I think the other way around. I think it would have been other people being like, oh, I know that may, may be more representative of what the story is about, but we want a good title. By, I think it's fair to say that by book five, at least, she could call any shot she wanted. I would have thought by four. Do you reckon? We don't know that, I suppose. We don't know the way that it actually works. By five, I was queuing in the night for it. Yeah. That's yeah, just yeah. when I joined the, like, clan, you know. I joined when four books were out. But there were just always, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, like, going against someone's wishes, but there were, they were always, you know, it's a whole process, isn't it? And there are people who, who are, whose job it is to think about how marketable is this. Another new fan klaxon is needed. Joanna has got in touch, says, all right, nerds. All right, Joanna. All right. No fewer than six points. Nice. Okay. She's got to the start of book six, book four. Okay, read, read At this point, bit. it was we, a while. We've got to read the praise. Read the praise. Oh, I, look, I thought, I, I, this is before point well, one. The people, the people need to know. Mm. Sending a message to say that I'm really enjoying the podcast. I've reached the start of book four. They've just caught the porky to the World Cup. I started listening after a recommendation from someone called Emma, who I think is a friend of the pod. She posted about it in the Ellis James and John Robbins Facebook group. 
I think we've got actually quite a few followers or listeners from this Facebook group. Yeah, I mean, shout out. There seems to be like a massive crossover. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. A minor crossover, I think. No, for us, massive. Right, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a few weeks, they're not going to start talking about all the Harry Potter fans that they've got. Oh, my God, I'd actually die if they did. I would literally die. Don't forget that John Robbins has sent a birthday message to one of them. Yeah, and also, I bought John Robbins's stand-up, audio stand-up on Bandcamp the other day, and he said, like, give a message to John. So I sent him a message saying, like, hi, John, I I love you. I've got a podcast you might like. Because he's a big Harry Potter fan. Is he? Is he? I can imagine. Right, we need to get him listening. totally imagine that. Yeah, and Ellis is like... Is like a Rob. He doesn't understand why adults would read fiction. Interesting. She says, anyway, I'm glad that Rob seems to be enjoying Goblet of Fire so far as it's my favourite of the series. I wanted to send in a few thoughts that have come to me while listening. One, Snape's anger in the Shrieking Shack. It had never occurred to me before, not sure if any of you mentioned this, but maybe part of Snape's anger and hatred comes from the fact that he thinks Sirius is responsible for Lily's death, so he hates him even more than when he was at school. He would resent Sirius, Lupin and Pettigrew for surviving when she didn't. Great point. I think it's a really good point that he, yeah, he thinks that Sirius, although... He doesn't know that, though? I mean, I guess... Does he think that or does he not? Because obviously he was a Death Eater. Right, so he thinks that Sirius is guilty. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he does. And that Sirius therefore betrayed... He did, He doesn't know about Wormtail. No, he doesn't yeah, know no, about... he doesn't. No one knows yeah, about Yeah, she's that. right, definitely. No one knows. Not as far as I can tell. Only Sirius know? knows. And Voldemort. That's it. But worm, Wormtail was a Death Eater. No one knew that he was a Death no Eater. No one knew. No, he wasn't. Not, he not wasn't, any of the other Death Eaters. No, he was a. He was and like he was a double. A spy. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the Order of the Phoenix. That's a fantastic point, Joanna. I hadn't ever really thought about that. Two, the Death Eaters, including Snape and Voldemort, call Pettigrew Wormtail, which I always thought was a bit odd. Do you think they are goading or humiliating him? The name is a reminder of his Gryffindor days of having loyal friends. Um, yeah, I think this is like goading him, like in the same way that we were talking earlier about how Voldemort says about him being friends, having an affinity with rats. Because like, Wormtail is not, I mean, considering it was given to him by actual friends, yeah. Wormtail is not a nice nickname. No, it's a rubbish name. And it's, but it is like calling him like, a rat, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that they, that Voldemort and the Death Eaters got hold of the name Wormtail just from, like, social rub-off at school? Or do you think Wormtail said, that's what they called me? I reckon it would, be like, almost, like, rub-off, not necessarily from school, but that is how they refer to each other, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. we've talked about this before, how, like, would some people know... Because Snape would know. Because Snape... I'm sure Snape would know. That he was called Wormtail. Yeah. Snape's not Death Eaters this time, though, is he? It's about no, how that's... Voldemort comes to call him Wormtail. He already calls him Wormtail, you know, right back at the beginning of this book. Wormtail, there's an old muggle at the door. Doesn't he say that? Yeah, he does. So I think the question is about how 
But I think during this rise of Voldemort, do the Death Eaters and Voldemort come to be calling him Wormtail? Well, I I can only I think, think it's that just it comes that's that... what people call him. Like I think you know how like some people have nicknames at school and then they like kind of grow out of them as they get older. But mm. some people like you just keep calling their like I would never call that like, I never call Beagle Mike. But but like, what I, I would... always call him just call him Beagle. But like what I'd say against that is when everyone thinks that Peter Pettigrew has been dead for several years yeah. and it's made clear when the retelling of all that story is being done by like McGonagall in the pub it's Peter Pettigrew it's Peter Pettigrew Peter Pettigrew but Peter she was Pettigrew. his teacher they don't call him no but she was in the Order of the Phoenix with him as well you're sort of making I'm not out... sure she was in the Order of the Phoenix the no, first time no 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 but the argument you just made was that like it's a kind of ubiquitous nickname that has almost replaced his name which I don't think is the case I think he was called it by his close friends now, I think that Voldemort must simply have been told by Wormtail yeah. that, that that's what they call me. They call me Wormtail. Yeah. Probably before Voldemort comes back, probably when yeah. the original betrayal took place. Why Worm, would he say that? Well, part of Wormtail justifying it to himself would have been, oh, they call me Wormtail. Like, they give me a horrible nickname. Okay. Like, they don't, they're not really my friend. Yeah. Voldemort would have played upon that insecurity. Yeah. Okay. get him to turn and that's how he I would I would think that they would have had a conversation back when he originally turned Peter Pettigrew about how they called him Wormtail and why and Voldemort will have used that to turn him but then cruelly ends up calling him that yeah anyway not calling him Peter yeah I think that's good ex explanation because uh, I'm I'm with you in in that I that has crossed my mind like we don't when we talk about series we don't say prongs yeah you're right. we're does become more synonymous like when we're talking about him we'll more often say wormtail than we would pettigrew i think serious black was like everyone will always think of him as serious because like that's how it was reported he was like a mass like murderer and killer oh yeah sorry it's padfoot isn't it serious yeah and we never but you're right, we don't refer to any of them as their school nicknames apart from Wormtail. But they do refer to each other as that, don't they? When you think about, like... Um, Definitely when they're younger, a lot. When they're younger. So in the pensive, when they're talking after that exam, they use the nicknames. And also, I'm sure in the fire, you know when Harry goes back in book five and yeah. Sirius and... Um, Lupin are talking they do use their nicknames then yeah, yeah when it's just kind of the two of them yeah I think you're right King and I think it would have definitely been something that like Voldemort could have played on and it could have just been like a simple uh, intel exercise if they managed to like get hold of, we can presume that at some point during the first war they got hold of someone from the Order of the Phoenix at some point and tortured them for information and in doing yeah. so you know, anyone, any of them will probably be able to say, oh, yeah, like those four, they've got nicknames for each other. This is what they call each other. And that's the type of information that bold, that is really valuable to Voldemort. Um, the next thing she said was casting ideas. Adam Driver is a great shout for Sirius. Thank you very much. And I was watching an old episode of The X-Files last night and realised Mulder looks yeah. just like Lupin in my head. Yeah, that could work. I'm interested to hear what Rob makes of Percy's storyline as it unfolds. 
It's one of my favourite subplots, and I think more interesting to read as an adult when I think most of us have experienced an element of family fallout in one way or another. Percy has a really interesting character development, and it's a great moment when he turns up to join the battle in book seven. Oh, it freaking is. Yeah, I think because it's a children's book, everything's like sometimes been a bit black and white, and they do, it does with that Percy storyline. And obviously, I don't think that Percy's in the right at all. But thing, you know, he's he's trying to do his best, isn't he? And he's yeah. trying, you know, he's vicious. He's trying to work hard, and he feels like he's being kind of undermined or done over. You know, he had really in this book, he has a really unfortunate situation. Yeah. So, like in a way, like I understand how you like you could sympathise with him. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's to do with like kind of what. King the Thane just said about the whole Wormtail thing and how that has almost been used against him because it is quite a derogatory term and that they would have kind of there would have been an element of yeah like it's funny let's call him Wormtail whereas there are all the other nicknames quite cool I think there is an element of that with Percy of like getting in his head as like the one that's always well same as with Ron like Ron is quite pushed to one side um he's quite left out by the twins or whatever. He probably feels he just doesn't fit in with his other siblings, to say, and exactly. he's kind of like reminded of that quite a lot. Yeah, and then as people get older, sometimes that can really build and become a massive void between, like, in a family. And if it's not dealt with and resolved, that void just gets bigger and bigger and becomes something that it never was. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what Rob makes of it. Um, probably nothing. Probably absolutely nothing. Yeah. Doesn't normally have opinions. Yeah. Uh, number five, your discussion about whether snakes usually make eye contact made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I remember that. But... <laughs> so I remember. Just like, would they? Does anyone remember the context of that conversation? Right. Well, no, I think it's, it's. I think it's about. I think <laughs> it's I. About Harry closing his eyes because of the basilisk. Yeah, but I think I was. We like, snakes I... usually make eye contact. But I, no, I think it was because. I was like, just because you see it, that doesn't mean you're going to die. Like, you've got to physically yeah. lock eyes. Right. And I have never <laughs> locked eyes with a snake. <laughs> like, never. Boy, okay, number six. You talk a lot about Stephen Fry, but have any of you listened to the Jim Dale audiobooks? They are really good. His intonation is a bit strange sometimes, but his character voices are good, and he's less posh than Fry. I don't like it when Fry says Malfoy and... Hogwarts. I know, I know what she means about the Malfoy. Mm, yeah. There's a few things that Fry pronounces weirdly and I don't like, but generally I think oh, his I just adore her. Reading and his songs are amazing. Yeah. And I have tried the Jim Dale and I just don't like it. It's mm. those are the American ones, right? The Jim Dale ones. I think ones. so. And I think it's very much for me, you don't no one likes change, do they? So I got established with Stephen Fry and I can't really hear anyone else. Yeah, like I've been listening to those Stephen Fry ones since yeah. Child, like since it, we had them on yeah. cassette. Like yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's just what you know, but I can't, I'm afraid, get on board with the Jim Dale ones. Thank you so much for your questions, Joanna. We really hope you keep enjoying the podcast. And thank yeah. you very much for getting in touch. If you're a real fan out there, you haven't got in touch yet. Harry Potter Virgin on Instagram, the Harry Potter Virgin on Facebook. Send us your outpost. It makes us happy. It might make you happy. Let's carry on.
So I think we should talk about this one from Lindsay Millington. King. Long time friend of the show. <laughs> um, so this is about flesh, blood and bone. Unfortunately, it is a, it is a bit of a question for Rob as well. Um, I was really struck on my recent reread at the contrast between the drama of the struggle, how he has with the monsters in the maze, and the other life or death encounters and the swift cold-blooded matter-of-fact killing of Cedric in, in this chapter. To me, it suddenly changed the tone of the whole series. I feel this is a moment they simply stop being books for children. What do you guys think, including Rob? Well, Rob thinks nothing, so. Yeah, I mean, he did say when we said to him about like, he what do you think shot. about this being a kid's book? He basically was like, this isn't a kid's book. Yeah, look look how long it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was more to do with the physical size of it than the content. I think it does understand how the content is developing, you know, yeah. way beyond what you would expect a, a little child to to Absolutely. read. The, um, the content of the maze, I was reading ahead a couple of chapters the other day, and I remember that Barty Crouch Jr. says that he makes the maze easier for Harry. Yeah, yeah, that's how Harry gets it through. should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just, just kind of as Lindsay brought up, what you know, the action of the maze. Yeah. I just thought I'd say that because yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten that before I re read yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's how he gets through, and it is there is a lot of there's a lot of the maze where he's just yeah, he's just looking and doesn't doesn't see anything. I think with the, I think it's a really good point, and it definitely when I first read it that shock of Cedric was really extreme and it's something that um I think Rowling does capture really well um here um and also in the last book when Hedwig dies mm. that in that moment nothing's off limits for me that moment when Hedwig dies you start reading that book and you think, we're all right, we're in the warm up. And then before you know it, Hedwig said, and you're like, no, hold, no, no holes are barred. No. <laughs> no holds barred. I think all the moments where characters are actually killed, obviously there's lots of moments where the characters are in danger and we're supposed to kind of worry that they're going to get killed or, or seriously injured but the moments where Sirius dies Cedric dies um Dumbledore dies although Dumbledore is a bit different because you find out later yeah he starts with Dumbledore he starts to go out doesn't he he's there's he's already weakened he's really like he is physically weakened by the time that spell hits him but also, we we later on know that he's a lot died. Yeah. That, you know, it's planned. Yeah. We, we show, but, but in the moment, we don't know that. No. And same with Hedwig. It's all like, it's it just all makes you realise like how basically like the mortality of these people that it actually only takes one second. Yes. And that it's not a big battle or it's not, you know, oh, I got a... Like I, I bled out in none of that. It's no, like, or like, I, oh, the Sphinx killed me because I got the fucking, um, what's it called? Riddle wrong. Riddle yeah. wrong. Like, you know, like it's, it's just like in one moment, yeah. someone, like someone's life is gone. Yeah. I think we, I think that's it for this week because I've got 
Have we done Mitchell's? I think we. I think it came through yesterday. We saw it. Hi all. First of all, great show. This is just a mail post regarding the pensive, and not sure if you would have already recorded these episode chapters where Harry discovers Dumbledore's pensive. So let's just read through them and see if we covered them. Yeah. Just some random musings, but how rare do you think all pensives are? We did discuss that actually. Do you think Dumbledore has the old only the has the only one? We discussed how that pensive is like naked native to Hogwarts. Yeah, it's a special hot yeah, and it's I think it's particularly ancient, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And there are more, but I think they are very rare. Yeah. So or do you think there are a rare few? So yeah, we have discussed that. As my other thought is, if there are more than one, could the Ministry of Magic use them for the Wizarding Mot for evidence in trials? I think we discussed this as well. For example, if someone wanted to use their memory as proof then they could allow them to all view the memory. I know they can be altered as Slughorn did, however, it was clear that he had altered his memory. But I think that was because he did it crudely. I think that would be treated as like a lie detector, which is not considered reliable in a court of law. Do you know what I mean? Because a powerful enough wizard could completely sway a testimony by altering it in a way that that isn't crude and we know that that element of it is from the fact that Slughorn is deeply regretful and ashamed yeah I know like I know that this may be considered not moral but from like a practical point of view Veritas Serum gives you the truth doesn't it yeah you know, it's not like torture where like, oh, you know, someone might admit admit something because they're being tortured, which is actually not true. Yeah. It it is like the whole thing of Veritaserum, like it gives you the truth. The actual truth. Maybe um, it's to do with um Veritaserum being so rare, probably so expensive to produce in limited supply. You don't need much though, do you? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Dumbledore used like three drops or something. Yeah, that's true. But it wouldn't surprise me if like most people don't like they and you you think or the ministry could get access to it, of course. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it just always made me think like, oh, I get that there might be like moral arguments against it. Yeah. But from my point of view of like getting to the truth. Yeah. Where we know that like so many people in big cases where they're trying to find Death Eaters, got off by saying, oh, I was under the influence of a imperious curse or whatever. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah. it's always, always struck, struck me that they, they, they've actually got this way that like in the muggle world, people have like spent, you know, people are always trying to find these ways. You know, that's why like people came up with things like the lie detector yeah. test, which obviously, you know, these things aren't accurate and they actually have the real deal. Is a really interesting one. I think there must be some kind of civil liberty boundary that the wizarding mm. world isn't willing to go across, and yeah. that's why they won't use to serum. And it's also why they won't use oplimency or legitimacy. Yes. Yes, right. Because they, they do have these ways of getting access to people's um, memories or, or the truth, and they choose not to use them. Yeah. And I can think the only reason is because there is a a moral barrier. I think that you would be allowed 
to submit a memory as some kind of evidence if you wanted to, but it would probably need to be looked at maybe by an unspeakable from the Department of Mysteries yeah. to determine what they believe it's been tampered with or if it's accurate enough to be submitted that would be my thought the danger is that you're getting into a territory which i suppose is the case in anything like the clever the cleverer you are the better access you have to knowledge and people with knowledge in certain sectors the more likely you are to get off with the crime which i suppose is always the case and you know like in different countries you can pay off you can just pay off can't you yeah so i guess it's trying to um, level as much as they can by going okay we need to try and make sure magic isn't involved because otherwise if you get someone someone very very magical is so much more likely to be able to alter their own memory or something or have somebody else alter their memory so that if they take serum, they don't you know there must be ways around it so to try mm. and just keep it as non-magical as possible to try and level it out yeah I suppose that's part of the other part of the problem with maybe trying to use legitimacy is that people can use occlumency. Yeah. And yeah, you're right, you just then favours the better wizard. Okay, so we have got, let's have a look, message here from a friend of a long time friend of the show. This is from Amy, who sent us a voice note, which is always our favourite. Hello. Uh, hi, I'm a so-called real fan um, yeah just a quick uh thought on i think it was the egg and the rob where you guys were talking about Marauder's map um so obviously harry we know that harry sees barty crouch jr as he's entering snape's office um on the map and i just wondered whether it was because barty crouch jr you know the, the potion had worn off and it was actually barty crouch jr that was going into Snape's office, in which case, why was he such an idiot? I mean, he always has the hip flask, would he really have allowed it to wear off and risk being seen within Hogwarts? Um, or whether it was that the Marauder's Map is such a powerful form of magic that maybe it's too clever and can see through Polyjuice Potion and knows who the real person is. In which case, do you think if we'd have had the Marauder's Map in Chamber of Secrets, we would have seen Harry and Ron on the map with Malfoy instead of Crabbe and Goyle? Anyway, just a thought, because I'd never really thought about it before, and it just dawned on me. Um, and in other news, uh, I really loved Rob's, no, sorry, I really loved Kitty's impression of Voldemort when he did the Avada Kedavra. I thought that was spot on, made me laugh a lot. Um, and yeah, I've basically binged every single episode since I found you guys um, in about a month. So uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Bye. Well, first, thing, first things first. Thank you very much for your message. And I have been complimented on my Voldemort the Father Kedavra <laughs> impression in the past. I'm sure I will be again in the future. Um, but also it's just great to hear that you're enjoying the show and binging it. So we'll try to keep up the episodes as much as we possibly can. So to the question about the Marauders map, Millis? I think it's really interesting that you presumed that it wouldn't show up as a real person. To me, the polish you show potion changes your appearance and it changes your voice, I think. Yes, it, yes, does. it does. It does it change does. your voice. The voice is the vocal cords. So, yeah, it's, so it's part of your body. Yes. So it, it's just your body that changes. Correct. But it it's still you. And I just always thought 
that the the marauders map shows the true person i believe so too i be, i believe and have always believed that the marauders map shows the true person so if you're dressed up as dumbledore it would show your real name or if you've taken polyjuice potion to look like somebody else it would still show your real name that's that's what i would assume yeah i think whether barty's taken polyjuice or not it's going to show his name we don't know for absolutely certain that he didn't try and go into Snape's office um, not disguised as Alistair Moody. Um, I don't think there's anything really to suggest that he did, but it's a potential read. I think there's a potential justification for it. Thank, thank you so much again, Amy, for, for, for the message. We, we love that you're enjoying the show. Okay, so we had this voice note from a longtime friend of the show, Lee. If the crowd is unable to see the events of task two and task three, does it strike anyone that maybe the Triwizard Tournament isn't the best for spectators? Yeah, I'm sure we've mentioned this before. Um, obviously, Lee wasn't to know because we haven't played the episodes out. Um, but yeah, that it's basically, it's terrible for spectators. And I hope that they're, maybe it's a bit like... Um, what do you call it? What's that big suit like the Super Bowl? Right. Maybe there's like loads of entertainment and hopefully there's like loads of like snacks. Yeah, I would hope so. That maybe there's a bit of a carnival going on like behind the stands that you could maybe, you know, sneak off to for a bit because, yeah, it would be really boring to watch. We had this piece of our post from a longtime friend of the show, Andy King. And this was in ref. This was he sent this a little while ago. He he listened to the episode, the madness of Mr. Rob. Or was it the robness of Mr. Rob? Can't remember. Yeah, well, it was a robness, but it should have been the madness. He said, disappointing chapter review from Rob. If he doesn't like the madness of Mr. Crouch, there's not much hope for the rest of it. To be honest, maybe he will appreciate it more when it's more laid out in the pensive chapter. Right now, he seems of the opinion that anything could happen because of the unlimited possibilities with magic. I think Andrew makes a good point there. And it is something that we have touched on in the last few weeks that we were getting a bit worried about his lack of engagement with, with yeah, the story. I think that may improve over the next few chapters because there's some really cool action and revelations coming. I mean, if he doesn't love the like reveal of the, Ver the Veritaserum, then what's, what, are we, what are we doing? Well, we've always had the fear with Rob that with Veritaserum, a bit like with cat rat and dog in the last book which i absolutely love or that that little cluster of chapters that take place in the shrieking shack where so much is revealed to you and the story is kind of laid out the fear with rob is that he's always looked down a little bit on those on those chapters like on the chapters that just give you the information even in this chapter uh, flesh mm. um the death eaters he said you know, we all just sit down and, and Voldemort tells us a story. But he he acts like it's just not been hinted at. There's no, there's nothing to suggest anything. It doesn't fit together. And then it's just, oh, and this happened, mm. which is not the case. But he's but he's so uninterested in the, in the story going along that he's not picked up on anything when it comes to the reveal. No. So it doesn't all slot together for him. No, we will see. We will see what he thinks. And then the last piece of our post this week from longtime friend of the show, Rosie King. She said, why did many of the Death Eaters get off relatively lightly from retribution from Lord Voldemort when Wormtail was treated so badly in comparison? I really enjoyed both chapters. 
Yeah, Voldemort has absolutely no respect for him. He doesn't even think he's a half-decent wizard. But also, I think Voldemort is rewarding him. So he he has to kind of put him down first. Mm. I think the thing is, is that we hear Voldemort have a go at some of them. It would be a very long and probably uninteresting chapter if we had to listen to Voldemort have a go at all of them. Yeah, probably. I, I, I think generally he's just given less respect because he's not really part of the gang. You know, he's a traitor. Yeah. Voldemort knows that thing that we were talking about earlier, which is that he's not really committed to the cause. He's just doing this because it's his best option right now. And that ultimately is what ends Wormtail, that doubt. Thank you very much for listening to the Harry Potter Virgin. Our theme tune was an original composition by Patrick Steed. Our jingles were original compositions by Emily Tonts, Philippa Thomas and Craig David. It's goodbye from Millers. Goodbye. Goodbye from Phil. Rosier. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>